1: HT Smartcast.
2: You are listening to Alive Mint Production. Brought to you by HT
3: Smartcast. Uh,
2: uh, I wanted to ask this question to Vandana. uh, Given that, uh, which we have seen here in India at least, is that uh, the conventional uh, playbook for electricity, which was always thermal, uh, that part of the uh, plants, it has absolutely, the renewable has played a very stellar performance in the last three months. So, if you look at the way even the tariffs have behaved, uh, also because we just went through uh, the last 2000 megawatt, which was auctioned, where we saw around, say, uh, we, India actually hit the lowest solar tariff. That That's one part of it. The other thing is also about the way that in, even in the merit dispatch orders, it was renewable, which were uh, priced very low as compared to conventional power projects so so do you think that absolutely that case for renewable like we have passed uh, we have absolutely uh, uh, put that to rest that entire debate which used to happen at one point of time whether green is more uh, say renewable or wind versus a thermal and also i'm not even getting into the environmental aspect of it has that debate been laid to rest during this pandemic and renewable is the new energy form going forward
3: I think what's happened is that uh, the debates have uh, shifted. Basically, Uh, the the point of views have have moved and the content of the debate has shifted. But this will remain a a very debatable topic. And and here's why. So first of all, the energy transition uh, in terms of especially countries like India, you know, where uh, there's a huge dependency on oil imports. Uh, so, the energy basket has to be diversified uh, also in uh, when it comes to energy security, if you are the more renewables you have in your in your mix, uh, the better off you are because uh, you know everybody has wind blowing and well India certainly has uh, and and the sun shining down. Um, What the debate is not about anymore is that uh, renewables ought to be in the mix. I think that from an environmental perspective, from an energy supply basket diversification, energy supply security perspective, all of that makes sense. Uh, The progress in the technology and the subsequent drop in costs has uh, obviously delighted countries, and it has helped propel them in that direction as well. I think the debate today, um, and it's, it started a while ago, but continues today, is that the fact remains that, uh, first of all, electricity consumption is uh, on a, a very steep upward climb. You know, unlike oil and, or other fossil fuels, we know the world's electricity consumption is going to continue rising at, at quite a steep pace uh, for the years to come. Now, when it comes to renewables, uh, renewables are growing very fast. But quite often what the headlines miss, you know, when you give double digit, when you look at double digit growth year on year, is that it's it's coming from a very small base. And that is a constraint uh, that will remain in renewables. So so the debate now is that, yes. uh, well, countries should absolutely encourage, should try and have as much renewable as possible, uh, in their power supply. But then, uh, it cannot be your base power supply. When the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, you know, you still need to fall back on conventional energy, whether, it, whether it's coal coal-fired uh, or uh, hydroelectric and, and so on. So, you know, that's where the debate is today. And and I think, I think we should dispel this myth that uh, some people believe that, you know, perhaps we can just accelerate the world's move to complete renewables. No, I mean, I really don't see that, certainly not in our lifetimes, that we uh, go from Uh, uh, dependence on coal, hydroelectricity, or nuclear to a heavy dependence on renewables. And then storage, of course, and intermittency are are issues as well.
2: Uh, uh, Absolutely. Uh, In fact, uh, of course, it cannot be a binary issue. I wanted to get Ashish very quickly on this. Uh, uh, Given that, uh, as as we we are discussing about how renewable has kind of, uh, when you look at the merit orders, uh, where renewable has been priced lower than, uh, conventional, as well, even some of the NTPC plants as well, which have always been the kind of a barometer for the lowest energy of electricity available in India. Uh, also, uh, it also comes at a time when you have been, uh, hit by a, BC, uh, a basic custom duty. How is this, uh, given that, how do you balance and given that there's already, there was already a pandemic where you have been trying to, uh, get your playbook right. Now, uh, you're also talking about a policy intervention which is happening. Uh, where they're talking about a b- custom duty, there are tariff barriers which will be coming up more so going forward. Uh, tomorrow is the state power ministers' conference as well, and I believe there might be something else which gets announced. Ashish, how do you see this uh, renewable as the main uh, thrust area for uh, the of, of the paybook for uh, energy firms going forward? I think uh, I
4: think the. Not so good. The good thing which has happened is that uh, renewable has come on board very quickly, maybe because the base was low, but it has still come on board very quickly. Uh, not so good which has happened is that it has taken all the optics. And because it has taken all the optics, now rather than every ev- all energy source aligning with each other, it has become one versus the other. So it's coal versus renewable rather than coal aligned with renewables out there. I think both are required. Uh, technology today is not sufficient enough for an in power like renewable to be sustainable for 24 by 7. But if you look at the technology, leapfrogging which has happened in the last 10 years, uh, in one or two decades, I think it is possible. At least in my, in my life time, I'm definitely going to look at a 24 by 7 solution coming from a clean source of energy, whether it is hydro, wind or solar per se. I think the catch here is the optics of uh, solar. The optics of solar is also being substantiated by the advancement in the technology in last 10 years. On the tariffs are being reducing not because someone is punting. We do see forces being changing uh, or ring-fencing the Indian manufacturers, they are a short-time phenomena, And if you look at it, what is the right tariff also is, again, uh, the jury is still out. Whether it is 2.36, 2.37, I think there is too much which goes into this optics of 2.36, 2.37, 1 cent, 4 cents. Important factor is that do I have a renewable which is cost-effective, which can be in the grid? The grid can sustain that power along with the other base load and everyone can coexist and give a least cost of power as a source of energy to a consumer.
2: So and have...
4: in future... Sorry. Sorry,
2: sorry, please go ahead.
4: And so this... this you know, energy has always been politics. So you will right. always have these statements which will come across uh, on something all the else. Uh, sometimes you have custom duties. Many countries have that. They import barriers to encourage manufacturing. I think... we have to look at it even last 10 years been I mean, unprecedented you can't take away that credit away from the country where we were 2014 and where we are at 2020 where we will be at 2030 where oh. we will be at 2030 again will be unprecedented as where the exuberance and the investments which are coming across the world i am not only speaking about india but i am talking about across the world so right. i think these are a short term phenomena these are a very short term phenomena and on a long-term perspective, there is no reason why renewable. Where the technology is coming, let's also understand this fact that there is a variable cost in whether you have a fossil fuel-based plant. We own them, many of them out out there. The variable cost has been taken away in case of renewables. So it's only the fixed cost assets, and if you improve the technology, it's only going to go down. It's not going to go up.
2: Right. So uh, in Arjun... my view sorry i interrupted you but i wanted to very quickly slip this in because so are you talking about this round the the clock power bids which are now coming uh we recently saw a couple of them and and then i'll quickly uh, and then, then i'll quickly go to uh uh, uh uh ashwani because gas will then be that transition fuel for this ashwani and mr anand for gas being this transition fuel to taking us on that trajectory so very quickly uh, so is this round the clock uh, is what you are hinting at
4: i think the round the clock will come the current the current opportunity which is there on the table is predominantly to take care of the, the standard assets but in times to come i think it's a great way to bundle the renewable power along with the fossil fuel power and reduce the cost and both have their merits uh, to be in the grid uh, and the grid we have to invest in the grid uh, to manage more and more renewable power which is coming more, more cost-effectively than the fossil fuel.
2: Which we saw happening in March when uh, we were lighting candles. And also, uh, lastly, on the 20, 21st, when we saw the solar eclipse, when, say, around, what, 12,000, 13,000 megawatt uh, was quickly went down and was, got ramped up. So, I think the grid issue has more or less, we should at least give that kind of a credit to the POSCO that, uh, from what it was, I, remember, I still remember those uh, 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 terror days of uh, a grid failure, I'm talking about when we on two consecutive days, when around 600 million odd people went without electricity. Uh, I wanted to get. I, I, I actually wanted to get uh, Ashwini in and Mr. Anand. Uh, sir, uh, as Ashish has very nicely framed this about how uh, going forward, in a, also in a post-pandemic world, it's is is both conventional and green and clean tech going together. And that's also actually the one way of co- the of politics of co-opting different energy sources. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to put this uh, in, in front of both of you, Mr. Anand and Ashwini. So is gas the, uh, the fuel which will take us to that round-the-clock clean energy trajectory, given that it can be ramped up very soon? Uh, you don't need a time required to light up a boiler. So is gas the intermediary fuel which will take us to that trajectory?
1: So, let me take uh, this first, uh, Utpal. So, uh, yeah, you are absolutely right. And, you know, as Ashish has said, you know, uh, one of the important thing to note is that, you know, the renewables are intermittent in nature, you know, and we do need, you know, some complementary uh, source of power along with that, whether it is storage or, you know, a complementary power generation, flexible power generation through gas is a question, you know, uh, which time will tell but you know based on some of the analysis work which we have done and you know we have seen some of the consultants making presentations on the subject is that gas based power you know is more complementary and competitive uh, compared to storage as of now uh, and can provide you know a very neat solution for uh, round the cloth power and you know some of the Uh, recent bids which you mentioned uh, you know are actually you know uh, currently you know most of them have gone along with HIDL uh, rather than uh, or you know to some extent coal rather than you know adopting gas as a complementary fuel but you know I think the the penetration of renewable is increasing you know currently it stands at about 9 to 10% uh, and you know as we have seen in some of the developed countries where you know when they start going above 13-14% uh, kind of, you know, in the generation mix, there is a significant imbalance which you will see. You know, we already see that some of uh, the, the, the southern states in India, uh, you know, have experienced, uh, you know, grid balancing issues because of, you know, very high penetration of, uh, of renewables. So, you know, what do you do? You know, the uh, country has 24 gigawatt of, you know, stranded gas-based power capacity. Uh, and, you know, there are certain uh, policy measures which government of India had taken and passed. Some of those can be restored, that's point number one, but, you know, even in the long term, I think it makes a lot of sense given the, you know, current LNG prices, uh, you know, to make it, you know, much more complementary and effective, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and while we are talking about it, you know, there is probably a need for, you know, something like a solar uh, there is a solar and wind gas pol- uh, solar and wind uh, combined hybrid policy uh, something on the similar line should also be done between solar and uh, gas you know and that's something uh, which will you know really give an impetus to gas based power so uh, you know that that basically you know uh, provide a, a very nice platform for you know graduating from you know uh, or increasing the penetration of renewable from the parent 19% to you know whatever uh, 20% or uh, targets which we have in the long term.
2: All right, Mr. Anand, uh, your views on the subject?
1: Yeah, well, I
0: did, I did do all that. First of all, to Ashish's point, and that's been my reference point as well. While he's been uh, selling electricity, we uh, we have been selling oil, saying that the basket energy basket there's enough for all. Uh, it'll it'll be a coexist model. Uh, clearly, what will drive most of the choices would be the economics. Uh, end of the day there is the, the gap is increasing in context of uh, in at least Indian context of what the demand is versus where the supplies are and uh, out there economics mostly drives for instance uh, to your point uh, of all the renewables clearly and that's been the government's also biggest uh, focus is to see how they can substantially step up the efforts around gas because gas is, is a natural kind of the alternate. Uh, uh, around the renewables, uh, given the fact that, you know, we have uh, invested substantially uh, to connect it, which is, the grid is a very important part to it. We already have plenty full of power plants, which are mothballed right now, which were earlier based on gas. And the reason they are mothballed clearly is because economics didn't support them. You know, so economics were dry. Today, of course, the kind of prices that we have on gas makes it very compelling for many to kind of uh, look at gas as, as a medium. Uh, but eventually, I guess, uh, once we get those right uh, infrastructure in place, because we have the demand as far as India is concerned, we have the pockets of supplies, gas hinges on the very important connectivity logistics for how to bring the gas to us, and including the liquefication or the regasification, the economics associated with it, how we manage it. So, yes, I mean, uh, India continues to remain long on gas. That's the biggest bet India is making. And uh, I believe there is enough for all in context of uh, the energy pie to make sure that all coexist. But eventually, in Indian context, given the kind of penetration we desire, uh, energy penetration desire, it's the economics which will drive the choices. No, that's,
5: a, that's a very valid point. You, know, you mentioned the, the regulatory aspect as well. Um, so, a lot of corporations, um, this is not necessarily just the power sector. How do you price risk, you know, in various ways? Uh, uh, you, you've worked for power, you know, many companies are seeing something unfolding in Andhra Pradesh, for example. You know, we're all aware of uh, the focus that's going on there. Uh, going forward, you know, uh, how, how are, uh, you know, big corporations like yours, uh, they're going to sort of, uh, you know, price that in, you know, in every aspect of the business. Not just, you know, the final product, but the way you're investing, the way you're setting your outlook. And, and, and things like that. Anand, um, so if you'd like to answer that, and uh, then I'll go to everybody else in the panel as well.
0: Sure, so there are two parts to this. One is, eventually, you know, uh, you have to be driven by what the customer needs, customer requirements are. We began, you know, a conversation on COVID and the disruptions. So, going back before COVID, one of the biggest dis- discussion points were how, how the c- consumer is going to evolve in context of his choices of energy. So, in our con- so so in that context, each of the companies also in, in, in it just, in, wherever they say synergies, they need to kind of ensure they you know, pick up those synergies and diversify. So diversifying your energy basket is the first way you de-risk yourself because one doesn't know 20 years, 50 Because these are all high captive uh, industries, right? So you invest substantially in billions of dollars and you set these industries up. And you're obviously looking for an economic line of at least 25 to 30 years when you invest investing billions of dollars so out there the biggest strategy for you depending on how you see the world emerging in front of you is how well you can diversify so today if a cup if a refinery in an asset you know between our asset class if there's a refinery maybe they'll just not stop by saying the product yield has to stop and making only diesel and, and petrol they really want to go more downstream they want to you know build up like the many others are doing now moving into the petrochemicals and in the petrochemicals like Shell and many others have done into more, you know, value-added kind of chemical streams. So that is the way I think our industry will de-risk itself by diversification, by adding more value, uh, by going in for the last value molecule of uh, be through tracking or of the different sets of technologies, of really different sets of products to cater to the customers. We clearly understand and appreciate that this market will be very different 10 years from now. In context of what choices the consumers may want, what kind of stipulations regulators may put, and what kind of, uh, you know, many of us have this other challenge of how do we move into a net carbon, uh, you know, zero, or we are tending to a zero kind of a strategy uh, and mindset in 15, 20 years from now.
5: Pramod, do you want to want to go next about this? You know, how, what, are, what you, how are you advising your clients? to basically keep these factors, you know, while they're deciding on, on key business decisions, whether it's APEX or, you know, digital uh, transformation or any other aspect of the business. Promote this was for you. Promote the anything. audio was not a for me. No, no. I'm, asking, I'm asking the same question which I asked Mr. Anand, you know, when you are basically advising corporations, you know, to basically, you know, manage, uh, you know, and, and forecast, you know, uh, what are the key factors, risk factors which are going to play out uh, what are what is what is the your observations? you know what are you sort of hearing and what are you advising?
6: So I think uh, technology perspective uh, when we talk for customers, the key thing here is how do they respond to this world and uh, as Mr Ahmed described, the energy mix is changing in ten years, we may be at a very different place where we are today. Uh, you look at decarbonization, decentralization of energy generation uh, you look at consumer becoming producers in many cases though how do you really then think about this demand projection and how do you respond to it from a uh, technology or systems perspective and I think this is where we are seeing that uh, customers want to get ahead of the situation where the world I think in the next 10 to 15 years is likely to be very very different right I think they want to focus on solving this issue of how, how do you tackle this dynamism in demand in a in production systems, how to match and map the whole thing together in a way that you can constantly serve this changing demand, right? And look at the uh, renewables or the uh, other kind of uh, carbon-led uh, energy generation systems, they all have very, very different characteristics. So if you think about how do you bring a stable demand and put it in front of the customer in the most cost effective way, that's going to require all of these which are maybe backward facing and the forward facing to work together to create a system which can respond to this emerging need, and that's where we are invested quite a bit with a bunch of uh, energy producers and uh, distributors around the world. Companies like uh, IOC, NGC, uh, Schlumberger, right, uh, Caterpillar and manufacturing. So there are customers who are essentially grappling with the same issue in this uh, uncertain world, and we to build uh, build systems and technologies that can be very, very very responsive to that. And I think that sort of comes back to the whole idea around business agility, that can you deliver that business agility that can truly serve this dynamic and changing
5: world going forward. No, absolutely. I agree. Vandana, you want to answer that? What are you telling, you know, uh, corporations?
3: Yeah, sure. So um, there's two kinds of major risks facing uh, the energy sector globally right now. Um, One is obviously a very immediate risk and which has been caused by COVID, uh, which is merely of survival. Uh, You know, in the once booming shale sector, we are seeing bankruptcies of companies that were uh, that were pioneers of the of the shale revolution. Uh, there's a, a lot of consolidation that is likely to be forced uh, on the upstream as well as the downstream industry globally. So companies are coming out of this, irrespective of which part of the value chain you are in, they're coming out of this crisis with considerably weakened balance sheets. Uh, the, uh, there have been major asset write-downs. You you might have seen uh, BP and Shell uh, writing down uh, – billions of dollars of, of assets. Now, um, in the short term, of course, there'll have to be a lot of capital discipline. There'll have to be cost cutting. Um, when it comes to cost cutting, uh, again, you know, I think there's uh, an easy way out, um, you know, the obvious places. But I think companies perhaps need to be a little more thoughtful about this. Where to be, where, where, you know, overheads, um, how about working from home you know a, a lot of companies have found that a lot of processes uh, and and systems could continue smoothly with people working from home you know could they maybe reduce their overheads on on office space and, and i think there's a little bit of creative imaginative thinking that's required when when companies sit down and think about cutting costs um also as we've been talking you know how it's not just about cutting costs, but about driving efficiencies in your uh, operations, which will stand you in good stead uh, for future. Your asset base, you know, companies—the uh, the really good, strong companies globally—are are taking a very hard look at their asset base. You know, are they structured? Are there any structurally disadvantaged assets? Are there advanced and for advantaged assets that they'll want to hold on to? Um, there are M and A opportunities. You know, it would be wrong again to just dismiss it as oh, we have no money right now. Um, there there is still, uh, you know, uh, of course, capital is constrained, but there is still capital available. Uh, There is investment available for companies that can uh, promise a return on investment. So, uh, you know, how can you do that? How can you ensure that you remain relevant? How can you ensure that you be cost competitive? And then you will have uh, some investors knocking on your doors. You know, a great example in in recent days has been the Abu, Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. You know, it's uh, man, there is a new breed of investors uh, out there as well. It's managed to attract a lot of uh, not just uh, the recent deals, but even over the past couple of years, uh, pension funds, hedge funds, wanting to take a direct stake in its uh, pipeline infrastructure, for instance. So so there is capital av- uh, available. You know, uh, how how can you how can as a company you, you tap into it? So um, I think all of these things are it, uh, basically companies are now being called upon. Uh, to do some bold action to visionary thinking uh, you know restructure their business models uh, cut uh, you know ensure oh. cost efficiencies and so on the longer term challenges will remain as well well beyond covid and those are uh, you know when does uh, the global oil demand peak so it's very important for especially oil and gas focused companies to uh, see how they can re- reinvent themselves you know can they start Investing in uh, energy transition and in future energy, uh, investors, shareholders are um, scrutinizing companies' uh, own carbon footprint, and a lot of attention is now going to shift. So it's not just about the emissions at the, at, the, at your car level or power plant level, but also all the way along the production to the refining and transportation. So you know, can companies become more environment friendly in, in all all of their processes? So all of these are are longer term issues uh petrochemicals is uh, is uh, an area which may remain uh bright in terms of demand growth for years to come so we already see uh, oil and gas companies starting to look at that as well so you'll have to essentially look at all of these things to future proof your business if today your revenues are very heavily dependent on on oil and gas sales
5: no sure no we're uh, almost uh, out of time but before we wrap up uh I want to go to two big deal-makers who are sitting with us here, Mr. Kanda and also Mr. Anand. Uh, you, know, Mr., uh, you know, Tata Power has acquired very aggressively in the past. Uh, Naira Energy is is the product of a big acquisition. How are you both seeing the opportunities in the current crisis? I'll go with Mr. Mr. Kanda first and then I'll go to Mr. Anand.
4: I think, uh, you know, if you're working on your core competence, uh, then the opportunities will keep on coming. The point is whether you have an opportunity which is a stressed asset and you can make something out of it or you just need an opportunity to make yourself big. I think uh, there will be a consolidation in the industry, at at least where we are in. And this consolidation will definitely bring opportunities uh, for many players who has made a business model not on a long-term perspective but on a short-term perspective. Having said that, these opportunities also come with a lot of risk You know, when you have set up plants only if you have set up plants with a short term perspective, then there is so much which is under the earth or outside, which is very difficult to be measured as a part of the risk and the cost which you are going to pay across on this. So I think these all these opportunities bring their own foray of uh, risk along with it. But I do foresee that in this liquidity crunch, in this policy framework and also in the competence of the companies to go forward, uh, there will be a lot of opportunities. We are not a deal maker or a breaker in that sense uh, but I do I do foresee that as a company with deep pockets and which are there and work on your core competence. There were opportunities, there are opportunities and there will be opportunities. Uh, they are there always. Of
5: course. Mr. Mr. Anand, I mean, uh, opportunities for you in the current uh, situation? I'm sure there are many.
0: Yeah, sure. Sorry, I just um, missed out on uh, Mr. Ashish's uh, comments. That seems to have, have some lag on that. But yeah, coming to us, uh, you know, as far as we are concerned, when we invested into uh, into SROI to make it Nayara Energy two and a half years back, nearly three years ago, the quintessential bet was India. And uh, and that, you know, the excitement that the India demand, uh, you know, and the growth opportunities that India presented, I think all that still continues, albeit uh, right now uh, we are going through a very tepid scenario. It's no longer a seven percent, eight percent GDP kind of a growth uh, or a fuel growth economy. But uh, we believe that uh, this is short-lived. The blip that we have, uh, India will recover well out of out of this situation. And but we remain very very buoyant as far as India is concerned on its energy requirements on the long-term basis. So. For us, we are still very excited uh, about having acquired this asset operating this asset and uh, believing in, in, the, in the growth of this uh, asset and in the landscape.
5: Thank you. And on that uh, very, very positive note, uh, very optimistic note, we'll say goodbye today. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Look forward to having all of you again soon. Goodbye from me, uh, everybody in Mint, and also from Utkal. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: This was Alivement
3: Production, brought to you by HD Smartcast.
1: HD Smartcast.
3: I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising a Pro. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear.